Honestly, we're going to have to uh, expand their job descriptions. They're obviously don't have enough to do, and so <laughs> this is what results. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to spring here in Indiana. It's so nice. We'll get back to winter later, but for now, uh, we'll enjoy some of this uh, nice air. Uh, so I know that makes you in a little better mood, good spirit. Welcome to Union Chapel. I'm Greg Paris, and we're so thrilled that you're here. And we've been talking about stewardship of our lives this this month. And today, I want to talk about earning money. But, uh, chosen as our text this morning from Second Thessalonians, the New Testament letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica, Second Thessalonians chapter three, verses six through fifteen. So, if you have your Bibles, you can begin turning there. And just before I read the scripture for us this morning, let me just remind you of another very important passage, especially in light of the inauguration of our 45th president, President Trump. And this comes from 1 Timothy. Again, Paul writing to this young protege, and he said, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, pleasing to God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so the admonition here is to pray. Pray for those in authority. And as we admonish one another and challenge one another eight years ago when President Obama was inaugurated, we now invite you to the call to prayer for our new President Trump and pray that as a result of God's blessing and wisdom that might be conferred on him and our good friend Mike Pence, the vice president here from Indiana, the Congress, our state and local officials who make decisions for us every day, it is incumbent upon us as the people of God to pray. And so we want to pray that God's blessing, wisdom, and favor will be realized in their lives. And as a result of that, we'll live peaceably and fruitfully in the world. So... Thank you for your prayers and thank you for your sensitivity to that. There's a lot of emotion in the country right now, a lot of tension, a lot of uh, confusion, and so all the more reason for us to pray for the, for the God of peace to uh, bring that peace to our hearts. Now today, as we consider this subject of earning money, I want to read from 2 Thessalonians 3. This is the Apostle Paul now. And uh, as we get into this text, you'll realize that the Apostle Paul would probably not meet all of the conditions of political correct speech uh, for 2017, uh, but we'll have to give him a pass. He's the Apostle Paul, and he made it in the Bible. And so we're, we're going to listen to what he has to say. Our custom here is to stand to hear God's word, so as you're able, would you please? And I'll begin at verse 6. And he writes, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to Im imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. 
We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. This comes under the category, if you're in the boat and rowing the boat, you don't have time to rock the boat. But you're idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. God inspires today through this important word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. When we go to school, we're told that we're being equipped to earn it. Then we spend hours and hours for decades upon end actually making it. Then we invest countless hours in thought and conversation on how we're going to handle it. Then we spend hours and hours going through malls and other online services figuring out how to spend it. And then we worry that we won't have enough of it. And then we dream and scheme about ways to acquire more of it. And arguments over it are among the leading causes of marital disintegration in this country. Despair over it, losing it, has led to many suicides in people's lives. The love of it causes most of society's crimes. The absence of it causes many of society's nightmares. Some call it the root of all evil. Others call it the means to great good. One thing we can all agree as we continue this series on stewardship and money is that money is an important issue in our lives. We have to deal with it in one way or another every day. And so it is right for us to consider God's ideas and expectations with regard to this important subject. I'll remind you that there are over 2,000 verses in the scripture that that pertain to money and the management of money. Two-thirds of all of the parables of Jesus found in the New Testament have something to do with money and the stewarding of money. So it is a, it is a, a common and, and historic challenge to people, and I hope that today's message will be helpful to you and inspiring in some ways. Today I want to talk about earning money, and here's what I want to do. I want to set up a continuum, if you will, from one end to the other end of a continuum. This isn't about relative wealth, so you have poor people on one end and rich people on the other end. This is rather about assessing motive and value and attitude toward earning money. I want to suggest to you that the Bible teaches us that there are, that there are, are uh, examples of people in the world who are on one end of this spectrum with regard to earning money, their attitude about it, their values assessed to it, uh, the, the motivation of earning money, all the way to the end of the spectrum where there are people who have a whole different attitude and motive and perspective on earning money. So what I want to do as we begin now with your outline is I want to set some markers along this continuum. And by the end of the message, I want that, that you would pause and consider where you find yourself on this continuum and whether or not adjustments need to be made. Okay, so let's try to, let's try to pull it off. The first thing on your outline there are people on this far end of the continuum of, of money earning. And the word you need there is refuse. There are people who refuse to accept the challenge of earning money. Refuse to accept. Now, Proverbs chapter 26, verses 14 and 15, listen to this. As the door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard or a lazy person turns on his bed. The sluggard, lazy person, buries his hand in the dish, and he is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. 
How many of you say that's pretty lazy? I mean, I, I got it down there, but I just, I just can't get it back up to my mouth. <laughs> that's lazy. So as the door turns on its hinges, not really going anywhere, doing anything, just aimlessly turning back and forth, as a door turns on its hinges, so a slothful, lazy person turns in their bed. Now, there have always been people in the world who, for various reasons, have decided that they are not going to accept the challenge of earning money. It's not going to do it. These are slothful people. They are lazy people. They are unmotivated people. They choose not to earn for a host of reasons. They're on this far end of the continuum. They're just not going to play. Now, the next point is another marker in this in this uh, continuum. And these are people we might describe as inconsistent. That's the word you need, inconsistent wage earners. Now, there are a number of people like this in our culture today. There have always been folks like this. They'll work for a while, and they, then they quit. They go live with mom and dad. They go live with a buddy until that is worn out, and they go back and find another job, find some more work, and they work a while, but then they are soon to quit again. These are people who do not take vocations, do not take careers very seriously, and so they are very inconsistent as wage earners. They're in this marker on the continuum. Now, number three, we're laying down these markers. These are people that I might describe as freelance money earners. These are folks who like to do things in a more independent way. They, uh, they, they, they take on uh, a variety of different kinds of professional approaches. Um, in today's culture, you know, it seems like everybody's a consultant or a life coach, you know, or something like that. Maybe there's someone credentialed in those categories here today. Uh, you know, more power to you. And so these are folks who, who are freelance and they tend to earn a lot of money in one season of their life. So they got a windfall and that's all good and there's a lot of extra cash around. And then there are other seasons when uh, it's not as consistent and it's more difficult. And these types of wage earners, and there are numbers of folks like this in our culture, um, they, get, they get through life, but it's, it adds stress to their families, their spouse, their children, because when times are good, it's good, and when times are not good, it's a little more difficult. Now, right in the middle of this continuum, as we're working our way along the line, right in the middle of this continuum, these are people that I want to portray to you as the more healthy people on this whole continuum. They're on balance. These are folks who are consistent, they're persistent, they're enduring, they're diligent wage earners. And they're serious about earning money. They're serious about saving money. They're serious about um, providing for people. They're, they're, they're serious about giving money. And so they have the right heart, the right attitude, the right motive about earning money and they consistently and diligently go through life in this category. Now, let's just pause right there. We've, got the, we've had these three markers and then the center part of this continuum, and I'll catch this end of it at the end. But let's go back to th this side of the continuum for just a moment. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. It says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's pretty strong, isn't it? you don't take care of your own, then you're worse than someone who doesn't believe. And so the person who disobeys God in this way does an unthinkable thing. You're irresponsible toward your immediate family. It's, 
It's incomprehensible. And the Bible's very strict about this. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 5 says, The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. The, the image here is of a guy in a hammock, you know, with his hands folded behind his head. The fool folds his hands and ruins his life and his family. So the Bible teaches that there is a correlation. Watch this now. A direct correlation, a connection point between laziness and self-respect. These two things are connected. The Bible indicates that there is a relationship between those who do not take seriously their work and those who lose their dignity, self-respect. There's a direct relationship with lazy people and discouraged, depressed, and embarrassed people. So the Bible approaches this from a negative perspective by saying, you're, you're bad, that's wrong, that's evil, not to earn a wage and take care of your own. Then the Bible approaches it from a positive perspective, trying to convince us. And there is such beautiful language, for example, in Psalm 8. Here the psalmist gives us a picture of human beings. And he says that we have been made as a reflection of God himself. So that human beings are set in the highest place in the created order, design of God. There's a phrase in Psalm 8 that says, He has made us a little lower than the angels. How beautiful is that? How powerful is that? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Think about that. God has placed human beings, you and me, just a little lower than the angels. Now, that's why we're here on the earth. The Bible actually teaches us that when we're no longer on the earth, that human beings, you and me, will judge the angels someday. So you begin to get a an idea of where we fit into God's created design. We are, in fact, the crown of all creation. We have been given dominion over all the rest of the created order. In our uniqueness, God has equipped us to handle various issues of life. For example, he's equipped us to, to plan and to execute those plans and then to evaluate the outcomes. He's given us the capacity to create and experiment, and expand. Think of, think of the potential that all of us have as God has designed us with so many capabilities, musical abilities, mechanical abilities, creative abilities, athletic abilities. We are, in, in every sense, the marvels of the universe. We are God's masterpieces. That's who we are. And having designed us as such, God created us with all of this capacity, with all of this potential, in the context, follow it now, he created us in the context of human labor. God said, I'm going to create such a thing as human labor so the masterpieces of my creation can have the abilities and the talents and the giftedness, the potential with which I've made them stimulated and developed and nurtured so that it can explode into all kinds of powerful and beautiful ways. This is the human order. So God created human labor, follow now, so that through which we could grow and create and mature and find fulfillment and purpose and dignity through working hard. Working hard. Now, lots of people, even Christian people have misunderstood the teaching of the book of Genesis in the early creation story. 
Here we have Adam and Eve, as you know, they sinned and they, and they fell from God's best plan and they were expelled from this paradise called Eden, never to be allowed to return. And as they left Eden, they were told from now on, it's going to be from the toil of your, the sweat of your brow, the toil of your hands, that's how you're going to make your way. And so people have concluded, they've surmised from that, that, well, you know, working, that's part of the curse. You know, because you disobeyed me, God said, I'm going to subject you to the rigors of the rock pile. That's your lot now. But that is a total misunderstanding of what the Genesis account teaches. If you look at the text closely, you'll see that God designed human labor, meaningful, purposeful human activity before Adam and Eve disobeyed. So human labor is a pre-fall, pre-sin concept. It was integral to the way God designed us for meaningful and purposeful investment of the gifts and talents that he had given us. Let me put this statement on the screen just to make the, the point clear. God has made us to be remarkable creations, and we can express our unique capacity through meaningful, dignity-producing, God-honoring labor. Now, having said that, what we have seen from the beginning of time is people, though, resisting the challenge of meaningful work. There are people who plan not to work. There are people who scheme so that they do not have to engage in meaningful labor. Mm -hmm. These are vagrants. They are squanderers. They are dependents. They are a burden on all the rest of society. There are those who are extreme cases and there are those who are only occasionally dependent, but there are people like this in the world. And God knows that there's a whole lot more going on than merely asking someone to get a job so they can make a few bucks and pay their bills. That's not the ultimate purpose. It's a, an important part of it, but it's not the real idea and mission and purpose of God for meaningful labor. God knows that if you choose not to make your way in the world and take that seriously, then it begins to trip a series of dominoes in your life. One domino falls and then other dominoes start to fall. And not only does it degrade your own life personally, but it begins to degrade the overall society as well. It can begin innocently enough, well, I'm just not going to take earning money seriously. Just not going to take it seriously. But here's what happens. All the talents, abilities, potential begin to slowly decay in your life. All of those unique abilities that God has given you begin to decline. And we all know people like this whose gifts and talents and abilities and creativity have decayed because of a lack of stimulation, a lack of meaningful and intentional engagement in actually working your way and earning your way. So when skills decay, here's what happened. Dignity is also decayed. Where, di where dignity is absent, despair is soon to follow. So we watch the crowns of potential-filled men and women begin to fall to the ground because we are not taking labor seriously. And so what we see in our world and our culture and all around our world, we see men who were created to live near angels who are now living as near animals.
And I need to make this statement too. God wants us, God wants us to accept the challenge of earning money because the marketplace will actually be used of God to help us grow our confidence, our capacity, our dignity, and our self-respect. That's why Colossians 3 says it this way, work in such an excellent way that God is honored. And it doesn't really matter what you do, how you earn your living, as long as it's honest and it's noble and it's honorable to God. Our father John Wesley in the Methodist movement said this, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So as long as you're earning it honestly and righteously, then go for it. What is meaningful and purposeful is the dignity that applying yourself in a diligent, consistent, faithful way brings to your own life. And just the opposite is true. When I am not engaging my life in intentional, diligent, faithful ways, my dignity, my sense of personhood, my self-worth begins to decline. Now let's make some applications. Three applications. One, God wants each of us who are able-bodied, able-minded, unique creations to honor him, stimulate our abilities, and enthusiastically embrace the challenge of earning money. He wants us to go all in with that. If you're a person today in the life of our church and you've been hesitant, you're reluctant, you're at a stage of life where you're confused about all of this, hear your pastor say God's expectation for you is to get in there and get busy. Now, there are exceptions, and the exceptions include such people as those who are disabled. There are people who are mentally disabled and physically disabled. They are exceptions. The expectation for them is not to be uh, meaningfully employed and earning their own way. They don't have the capacity for it because of the disability. Let me give you another example. Homemakers. These are women usually and sometimes men who don't earn a wage, but they're staying at home and everybody in this room knows, whether if you're sincere and honest about it, that these are people who are working harder than most of the rest of us, although they're not earning a wage. They're homemakers. There are other exceptions like a missionary, for example, a man or a woman or a family who wants to move to another culture and offer the good news and hope of Jesus Christ to another people group but there is very little opportunity for them to be gainfully employed in that particular culture, and so they need to be supported and funded by those of us who are earning a wage so that they can be missionaries. These are exceptions. But the rule is to be gainfully employed, engaged, earning a living. Now, here's the second application point. It is exceedingly important that we teach our children the dignity of human labor and earning money. So important. And it's easy for us to lose our way with our children sometimes because we may hear ourselves saying, oh, God, it's Monday. Tomorrow's Monday morning. I got to get up and go to work. Oh. Or I got to face that so-and-so boss. I don't know if I can face that person one more day. And your children are overhearing this. So you've got to be careful. And so you want to be intentional about instructing your kids and teaching them these important values. Now, here's a third application point. Now, this is a hard word. This is not PC, but it's from our text today in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. The Apostle Paul said, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. 
Any questions? See, if there's a person who makes a calloused decision not to work and holds out his hand saying, I deserve to be cared for, I breathe, I'm alive, therefore I should be cared for. When a person postures themselves this way, the Apostle Paul is saying to us, don't be an accomplice to his crime. It's bad enough that he has that warped and distorted idea of what godliness looks like. Don't you be an accomplice to his crime by giving him something for nothing. As it turns out, all the research and all the academic uh, settings in the United States now say the same thing about poverty. There's no debate about these things. This all comes out. You don't hear it much because it doesn't fit into the narrative that, that people in our uh, socially tumultuous time like to, like to refer to. But these are things to avoid. If you don't want to live in poverty, these are three things. Number one, finish high school. Everyone agrees this is true. Finish high school. You don't want to be impoverished in your life? Finish high school. Number two, actually get a job. Start working. And number three, don't make babies out of wedlock. Don't make babies out of wedlock. Don't make babies until you're married. And if you get married, stay married. Those are all connected. These are things to avoid in order to avoid poverty. There's a fourth one. It's axiomatic. It makes common sense, which is uh, don't break the law and get thrown in jail because it's really hard to be prosperous when you're incarcerated. Now, if you hear me using any kind of language today and you assume if you assume that I'm talking about gender or age or race, you are missing the point. Completely missing the point. As it turns out, the greatest economic advantage in the United States of America is not based on your age, it is not based on your race, it is not based on your gender. The greatest economic advantage in America, statistically, this is a fact, this isn't up for debate. This, you can't argue this. This is absolutely true. This is reality. The greatest economic advantage in America is if you are born into an intact two-parent family. Shazam. An intact two-parent family. You say, well, I didn't have any choice what family I was born into. No, you didn't have a choice. Neither did I. But you have a choice now. Now you know statistically, just common sense, just matter of fact, you know now the best way to avoid being impoverished for your children and your grandchildren is to keep your family together. Now that leads me to say this. The United States welfare and entitlement system is a massive failure. It's a massive failure. And the reason it is, is because it violates these principles. 
It doesn't mean that it was wrongly intended or that it was wrongly motivated necessarily. I mean, most people want to make sure that people are cared for. I mean, we are a merciful and compassionate culture. We are. We're very generous this way. We're willing to really go the extra mile to help people in need. And it's a good instinct, and it's, and it's a good value in the context of our culture. But what I'm saying to you is that the welfare and entitlement system has failed miserably and massively for the, for the reasons that it violates the basic principles around which God has designed us, because it actually works against the greatest need in people's lives, which is for self-respect and dignity. Let me put this statement on the screen. Maybe this will make more sense. You cannot offer help without also creating standards and accountability, without which people become corrupted and devoid of dignity. Now, friends, you can apply that to the, to the welfare and entitlement system in the United States. You can apply it to parenting. You can apply it to any meaningful relationship where you're trying to help people take next steps in maturity and to posture themselves that, in ways that tend toward prosperity and success. As it turns out, all of these things hinge on decision-making and values. For example, we have people here in Muncie, Delaware County who come to Union Chapel once a week. Every week, someone comes to our door, walks right into our front door and says, hi. And this is essentially what they're saying. Hi, uh, we know you're a big church, you got a lot of money, and you say you're Christians, and because of all that, here's my need, meet my need. Happens every week. We actually have people who process folks who come in for assistance and for help. Now, lest you think that I'm just some angry old bigot, let me just tell you that over the last many years, Union Chapel, Union Chapel Church has given people to pay their rent, to pay their light bill, to pay their fuel bill, has given people over a half a million dollars. People who've walked in off the street who need help. They're going to turn my, my, they're going to turn my power off and, and we're going to freeze. It's the middle of the winter. Can you help us? And we process folks the best we can to try to help people. So there. The book of Proverbs says, hunger has a way of driving people to do what, it, what they ought to. Hunger has a way of driving people to do what they ought to. I had a friend come up to me years ago. He said, hey, I just got a new dog. He said, that dog, you know, you won't eat. He, the only thing that dog will eat is real expensive canned dog food. I said, oh, yes, he will. <laughs> no, you, my dog, he's picky. He's finicky. He won't eat anything except that really expensive stuff out of a can. I said, yes, he will. Yes, he will. No, you don't know my dog. I said, I know your dog. I said, I can tell you how to get him to eat anything you want. I said, all you got to do is chain him up in the backyard for about two and a half days. And then I promise you, he will eat anything you put in front of him. The book of Proverbs says hunger has a way of driving people to do what they ought to. Mm -hmm. Now, let me just make this qualifier again because I know some of you think that I'm a barbarian. <laughs> there are truly needy people, people who are not able-bodied, 
or able-minded. There are people in transition. There are people who have lost their jobs. There are people with short-term disasters. There are all kinds of with, people with all kinds of stories who have all kinds of different needs. And the right response, the right Christian response, the right biblical response is to ask people, what's your need? And how can we best help you? Now let me just, let's move now to the other end of the continuum. We've, we've considered this end of the continuum from very low motivation and earning money to this other end of the continuum. And these, these are people, last point in your outline, these are people addicted to earning wages. <laughs> Let me describe them. These are people that we might describe as earning addicts. They're earning junkies. They need another fix. They, they need an earning fix often. They have to close the deal. They have to cultivate another client. And, and just this side of a person who's addicted to earning money is this person who's almost addicted to earning money. Now let me describe this guy, give a little snapshot of his life. He gets a call one day from a, a guy in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and says, if you come to work for, for us in Fort Wayne, I will pay you $10,000 more than you're currently making. And this guy, irrespective of what his wife thinks or the best well-being of his his children or the wonderful relationships he's established in the community and professionally and in spite of the, the value added to his life and family and in the, in the life of the local church, he says, I'm there, I'm your guy. And he says to himself, rationalizes it, I can't turn down $10,000 more a year. I'm moving to Fort Wayne. And off he goes, he drags his family with him without due process without carefully considering. Now, let me describe these guys out here who are a bit addicted, all the way addicted and somewhat addicted. They started out with a healthy perspective. They accepted the challenge of meaningful labor and money earning. They began to succeed, and they were rewarded for their efforts, and their income began to go up. And they liked the ability to go out to dinner and buy a suit of clothes or, or get a loan for a car. They, they felt good. It gave them dignity. It's what you want. And while feeling dignity is good for everyone, dignity is not always enough for some people to feel. Dignity is not enough. They also want to feel deity. Let me explain. You see, earning lots of money can make a person feel like a little god. Having lots of money enables a person to buy whatever, experience whatever, avoid whatever, influence whatever, and it all adds up to a little thing called power. Godlike power. There isn't a person in this room who hasn't been enticed at one time or another with power. Power to make you feel in control. Power to make you feel independent. Power to make you be non-contingent. Doesn't matter what happens, I got it covered. You don't have to borrow. You don't have to wait. You can indulge right now, and that's powerful. And power becomes intoxicating, and power becomes addictive. And listen, in our culture, in a materialistic worldview like the United States of America... The shortest path to power is money. And money also produces another thing. It's called acclaim. It's called status. It's called recognition. And what do you think of when I mention the names Carnegie or Getty or Hunt or Rockefeller or Gates or in our own community, Ball, or in the United States now, Trump? These are, these are household words because these people earned a lot of money. We don't even know how they did it, but just that, they've earned a lot of money. And in our culture, such people are held in very high esteem. They're like little gods, featured in the articles, covered in the TV, often referred to, and heck, 
People with a lot of money, as we have just witnessed, can't even posture you to become president of the United States. Now listen to me. A person who does not find their sense of worth and ultimate value in their relationship with Jesus Christ can become susceptible to all the plaques and all the pins and all the awards and all the acclaim of their professional prowess. The power and acclaim that comes with earning a lot of money can have a narcotic effect. Jesus said it this way, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, lost his soul? Most people who are on the earning attic side of this continuum, they will look you in the eye and say, I'll take the risk. I'll take the risk. Wow. Let me put this last statement on the screen for you. You matter to God. No matter where you are on the continuum, you matter to God. So allow yourself to feel how good that feels. Your ultimate sense of worth and value as a person is first and foremost connected to your relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you know of his love and acceptance and forgiveness for you, it will help you no matter where you are on this continuum to find yourself moving appropriately and with great health and balance to the center so that you have the right attitude and the right, right heart and the right spirit about this important subject of earning money, this very important value so that your ultimate sense of worth and value comes in your relationship with him and nothing else. It's a good word right there. And here's what I want to do this morning as we conclude. I want us to pray. And we're just going to pause and think about this for a moment. And I want to ask you, where do you find yourself on this continuum? I want you to be as honest with yourself as you can be And let's just process a little bit. So let's bow our heads and pray. And my question is, where are you on the earning continuum? Can you truthfully identify yourself on the continuum? And if you can see yourself honestly along that continuum, Do you sense the Holy Spirit nudging you to move one direction or the other? Now, Lord, I pray for all of us because we are all needy in this area. Gosh, it's so easy for us to get our perspective out of whack and off base. I pray right now in the room for people whose minds may be spinning because of what they just realized about themselves. I pray for people, maybe in this room, maybe there's a person who can't wait to get out of here because tempted to run and hide from themselves what they've just realized about themselves, maybe even run from you. So for all of us, Lord, give us the courage to honestly place ourselves on that continuum and then to prayerfully make the changes and adjustments necessary to find wholeness and balance and honor to the end that Jesus Christ is given recognition and praise and we find ourselves whole 
and filled with a sense of worth, value, dignity. Lord, you've designed us to need these things. Fill us, we pray, in your holy name. And all the people said, amen. Would you stand with us now as we sing?